Hello again. Welcome back to Tony's House of Tea. I'm Tony, and boy is the tea hot today. Hope y'all are ready. I'm so incredibly excited to share this episode with you. This music therapist was an absolute treat to talk to, and there are so many gems to share with you inside for your squishy little brains to glob onto. This episode, we're talking decolonization, what it means, why it's important, how we can start to work on it, and how we've all been affected by the goddamn patriarchy. So gather round, we're doing the sometimes uncomfortable but absolutely crucial work of unpacking ourselves today in conversation with... Adenike Webb. Adenike Webb, PhD, MTBC, has over 15 years of experience working in inpatient and outpatient behavioral health settings. She received her undergraduate training in music therapy at Radford University and completed her master's and PhD in music therapy at Temple University. Her clinical experiences and supervision of music therapy students led to an interest in understanding cultural factors that influence working relationships between therapists and clients, as well as among colleagues. Her research interests focus on developing cultural awareness and responsivity in music therapy practice and education. She currently teaches part-time and does some clinical work with women in recovery from substance abuse. What is decolonization and what does it mean to decolonize something, especially in terms of like a profession or practice like music therapy? So what, when you think of decolonization, it's this idea of undoing ways of thinking, knowing, and engaging that reinforces the idea of dominance of one group over another. So colonialism is the sense that one culture comes in forcibly into another place and imposes their will, their values, their ways of engaging on it, and basically discrediting what has been there, if not um, annihilating it, so to speak. So decolonizing is undoing that. It's returning to, to allowing ways of being and knowing that had previously been there. So it's this action of returning to subordinated or marginalized groups, their resources and rights that were originally theirs. So when it comes to doing that in a practice, say like music therapy, it's the idea of moving back into allowing voices that have been silenced or practices or music that have been silenced to come to be part of what we do. But I just want to make a note here, if I may, about the word decolonizing. There's a great article by Eve Tuck and Kay Wing Yang that came out in 2012 that speaks about how a lot of times we use the word decolonization to broadly refer to social justice, human rights, and other critical conscious raising initiatives instead of um, specifically to the idea of returning power land and rights to indigenous peoples that originally had those things. So we have to be careful when we talk about mm. decolonizing something to be clear that what we really want to do is to incorporate the the music, the wisdom, the the value, the knowledge of indigenous groups, indigenous peoples and um other marginalized groups as well. So sometimes we, we, we have to be clear what we're doing if it's more if it's just like a social justice movement or a progressive sort of critical conscious raising thing, or we're actively seeking out indigenous scholars and indigenous music and groups of people 
who have experienced marginalization to allow them to to have influence over what we're doing as music therapists. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Okay. okay. So that clarifies some things for me. Okay. Wow. Okay. Um, so a couple of things of what you just said, mm-hmm. um, impacting like the thinking, the knowing, the experiencing, the ways of being, that sounds like it really involves like the whole person. Yes. And I imagine it's, um, really difficult to start to unpack like my whole personhood and the ways I've been taught mm-hmm. to be dominant, like as a white male presenting person. Yes. Um, and, and you know what? You're not the only, like, you're not, as a white male presenting person, you're not the only one who has to unpack stuff because a lot of black and brown and other marginalized groups, we've all been under a colonialist. A colonial mindset, you know, and mm-hmm. so we've all in, internalized values and actions that have belonged to the colonial the, to the colonizers. So, especially if we're when you think about black and brown people who are trying to assimilate into the dominant culture or who are trying to get by, you know, and the closer you are to to whiteness and the people who have power and privilege, the clo- the more you feel like power and privilege rubs off on you. So everybody, I think, has some unpacking to do, you know? And and, it, and it's an ongoing process. It's not like, oh, today I'm going to take a workshop on how to decolonize my um, thinking, and then I'm done. <laughs> like, right. No, not at all. <laughs> right. Wouldn't that be nice if it was yeah. just one and done? Yeah. Um, and then you talked about bringing... Um, indigenous peoples and their ways of being and knowing back mm-hmm. into the forefront and it makes me think of like the role of the music therapist as the expert and how we really have uh-huh. to like step down from that position because our ways of knowing and of experiencing music will probably look very different um yes from um, whatever else that might be yes that is so true I think it's funny. I've I've been a music therapist for about 17 years now. And the further I go in the field and in and in and as an educator now, the more I realize I have no right <laughs> to say <laughs> I I know everything because I about mm. music therapy because I don't. And and even if I'm working like I've worked in psychiatric and behavioral health settings for most of my career, but I cannot stand here and tell you oh, I know everything there is to know about clients in those settings, you know? I'm the expert. Like, no, us proclaiming to be the experts totally limits us from understanding really what our client, what the client experience is. Because the clients, it might be a cliche in some ways to say this, but clients truly are the experts in themselves. And they know, even if they can't always articulate it, they know what they need. Like they'll recognize mm. it and they, they'll let you know, like, uh-uh, this is not working, you know? <laughs> and we need to listen. And especially if, if the client is from a different cultural background from us, you know, we, we have to be so mindful that we don't come in imposing our values about how music should work for this client or how they should relate to music, you know, or how, um, or how I'm going to help them with music that might be totally 
out of the realm of what they're understanding because of their cultural relationship to music, you know? So yeah. we have to be, we have to be in a place of humility, like recognizing we don't know it all and we don't have the right to say we know it all. Ooh, I feel like that's so like, I don't know, almost like controversial to say because we're <laughs> I know. So which seems silly, but like we're so like ingrained and in like here I am professional, I am being hired to make a difference in somebody's life and I need to show results. But Yeah. Um it's funny, y'all. I mean, it <laughs> it is kind of <laughs> controversial what I might say in a way, but I, I think it's kind of linked to an identity crisis that the field has, you know. Mm. Um, I, I've long thought that we aren't just a healthcare profession. I mean, we 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 are in the sense that we look at well-being, but it's not strictly medical. It's not strictly psychological. It's, I mean, we we are a hybrid of of many things, and I think it's okay that we are that that we don't have to fit in a medical mindset, right? We don't have to. We don't have to engage like physicians do, because I think in that mindset, there is a sense that the doctor knows, is the expert, and will administer the dose of medicine that will help or the, the, the intervention that will help the client or the patient. And that's, that might work for that model, but that, I don't think that always fits music therapy. Um, and I feel like we, we come out trying to be experts because that's the assumption. And it puts pressure on us to engage in ways that may not always be authentic with music therapy as in its true essence, if that oh makes sense. Oh my God, totally, yeah. Oh, that just crystallized something I've been thinking about for a while. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah. And I mean, I, I've been, I've struggled with this myself too, you know, like, like you said, we're, we're, we have this sense that we're supposed to be the expert. We're hired to come in and make a difference, you know? But then I just, I just had a thought as you said that, and I don't know if it, if it would make sense in clarifying this, but when you think about your life as just as a human being, you can make difference without being an expert in something, you know? We, mm. like... You make a difference in the lives of your friends, in the lives of your family members. Um, you make a difference in the life of the the barista at Starbucks that you get your regular <laughs> coffee from and you always share a joke with. And you don't have to be an expert coffee connoisseur to do that, you know? I think being authentically ourselves, being authentically human, recognizing, yes, I know this and I'm able to share this. And no, I don't know that. I need you to, to share your knowledge of that with me, I think that makes a difference. Like if we are authentically human with our clients, I think that makes it so much more, so much easier for, for the power dynamic between therapist and client to melt away a little bit um, and, and hopefully eventually get out of the way. And it can be this true exchange of equals joint partnering with with each other in a journey to well-being wow oh that's so cool <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's such like a like a revolutionary way and like a radical way of thinking and practicing mm -hmm. that's i don't know it reminds me a lot of like carolyn kenny and like her drive yeah. towards love and like 
it's all about the love and the therapy and yeah and um and I think about other people who've talked about stuff like this like um I know um Brian Abrams has said some stuff like this because I because some of his his readings are kind of flitting through my head as I'm talking Um, and I'm sure there are other people too that I just um am either ignorant of or can't remember but you know this this idea that we don't have to be the expert and we and that and it helps to be authentically ourselves you know um like I found recently in my last iteration of of being a music therapist so I'm now working with women in recovery from substance abuse and I found where you know I don't have to sit before them and pretend that I know what it is to have used drugs or have been addicted to some to some substance. I don't have to sit before them and pretend to know like, well, I have every suggestion on how you're going to manage your triggers, how you're going to, you know, improve your relationships or whatever. But I can sit there and be like, you know, I my heart hurts to hear your story. And I too have felt some hurts. And maybe my hurt is not like yours, but I found this helpful in my time of hurt and I offer it to you if it is of any use, you know, or, or I, I, or even if I can't offer anything related to what they're going through, just being to sit, able to sit there as a human being and say, I witness your pain. I witness Mm -hmm. your, um, your vulnerability. I witness your, 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 your emotion, your power, your sharing. And, I see you and I value you. I think that makes a big difference, you know? Yeah. Oh my God. I've gotten so many chills already. (laughs) This is great. Well, I'm glad it's helpful. I mean, just, um, you know, and, and a lot of what I'm saying has come from my experience and also has come from talking with other music therapists and some who are scholars, some who are educators and, some who are clinicians with years and years of experience. And um, it's, you know, I just feel like, I don't know, I just feel like as music therapists, we, we need to be, um, we, we need to be mindful of who we are and what we bring to what we're doing. Like we are not, we are not blank slates coming into music therapy and mm. and we're, we're just going to perform a music intervention and have have it work with the client we we come in with our baggage <laughs> we come in with um our cultural world views you know um our biases and and all these other things we come in as as very human beings and i think part of therapy as a, as a supervisor once told me, a part of therapy is like being human with other humans, you know, learning to be in relationship, uh, you know? Yeah. Ooh. Good, 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 good. Okay. So that kind of gets into um, the next question. If we mm-hmm. all have like our own stuff we're bringing with us, how have and are music therapists like perpetuating dominant cultures, speaking in like a general sense? In, so when you think yeah. about, the the theories that underlie music therapy a lot of them are like western european american psychological theories um and and think of the values that are embedded in those things you know 
So when we say we practice psychodynamically or behaviorally or, or whatever you may choose, we have to bear in mind that those theories were developed in, in or, or rather are located in specific cultures and specific worldviews in specific um, times and places that may not ap be applicable to everyone from every culture or people who have differing worldviews, you know? So it could be easy for music therapists to conceptualize a client's needs and cases based on a, a Western interpretation of something. But if their client is an indigenous member of an indigenous group from the North America, for example, the, the worldview or the, or the way of, of, of seeing the needs and conceptualizing the case could be completely different, you know? So, so sometimes unintentionally, we are upholding values of a dominant culture that kind of squash the values of others and limit interpretations that we can have that will help us understand what's going on with a client, you know? And then also think about the music we use. So Sue Hadley speaks about this um, quite eloquently in the Readings in Music, Thera Theory, music Therapy Theory text. She says, as music therapists, what we say and what we play can perpetuate or disrupt oppressive ideologies. So when you think about the music we use, it can be supportive of a um, white heterosexual, heteronormative patriarchy. When you think about using songs that talk about love or songs that talk about family, you know? And that can be oppressive for someone who doesn't identify or, or ascribe to the values of a white heteronormative patriarchy. So that, so if a client is, is not part of that culture, that system, it, it's, it's got to feel invalidating for them if the songs we're choosing are reinforcing that you need to be white and straight and male to, to really benefit from life in this world. Even though that may not be the um, intent of the music therapist when they select those songs, but that might be what's coming through because of who the artist is or because of some of the lyrics within the song, you know? Um, but then we, when you look at Sue Hadley's quote, you know, what we say and what we play can perpetuate or disrupt oppressive ideologies. There's a choice in there. So we don't have to maintain this um, oppressive system in terms of using music and, and theoretical orientations that could be invalidating or oppressive to our clients. We can decide to do things differently. And some of doing that differently can come from really working with the clients we are serving to understand what is your worldview, what is, what is important to you, how are you seeing your needs and what we can do? How do you relate to music and using all those things to, to very intentionally support the client in their journey to wellness, you know? And, in, and another way we can think about how we music therapists might perpetuate the dominant culture is how we use music forms and instruments from other cultures, you know? Like people talk about cultural appropriation and we, I, I think it's a delicate line or I guess the word dance comes to mind for me also. It's a mm. delicate dance in music therapy when you say like, um, 
a, a white middle class music therapist who happens to be female um, is trying to to do a rap song with a bunch of black um, youth and maybe her way of rapping in her attempts to connect with with the youth is like characterize char- characterizing what black people who rap sound like you know because that's mm-hmm. her attempt to be authentic but it may not come across that way or even just saying oh because they're black they must they must like rap and hip-hop so we must use rap and hip-hop songwriting in what we do but maybe not understanding the context for for rap music the role rap music plays in their life the history of rap and hip-hop in their life like using things out of context using things as um cool tools or accessories is kind of part of colonialism. This mm. idea that you can co-opt something from a, another culture and repackage it and use it in a way that suits you and divorces it from its original intent, that's part of colonialism. So that happens in music therapy when we take musical instruments and music forms from other cultures and just kind of repurpose them without understanding their original intent, their context, and sharing that original intent and context with the clients. Now, now I'm not saying that we can't ever use a djembe, but just understanding how the djembe was used, why it was created or something, and the role it plays in, in, in percussion ensembles in various West African cultures can perhaps give some clarity and insight to music therapists and how they can use the djembe in their groups. And it might be helpful validating information for some black and brown clients that they work with to know that this drum has specific role, has specific history in, in their diaspora, you know? So those are just a few ways that come to mind to, for me as to how we can perpetuate a dominant culture. Yeah. Um, the word like tool or the next kitschy little thing really struck yeah. me because I feel like that's like a really dominant trend is always what's the cool new instrument? What's the kitschy new thing we're going to do as music therapists to bring music therapy to whatever group hasn't had it yet? Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Lots to think about in the way we yeah. instruments. Oh. Yeah, I think it's, like, I don't want to say that it's wrong for us to use certain song forms or to use certain instruments. I think it's, one, we should learn as much as we can about it, you know, to understand how those song forms work in their original culture. And the best way to learn is from someone from that culture who has expertise in that song form or in using those instruments. So, you know, if you wanted to run a drum circle using percussion instruments from various West African communities, look in your local community and see, well, are there people from that culture who are doing those things that could come in and share their expertise with me and with the clients so that we can engage in this more authentically? You know, there, there, there might be more resources in, in local people and knowledge that they have that they could share than you might realize. Mm, yeah and again tackling our dismantling our role as expert in that space right so interconnected so complicated yeah but it sounds like something really worth it if we can 
transform the way we it work. is it is and it's um and like I said earlier it's an ongoing thing you don't just wake up and do something today and it's you've now mastered it um I don't know if this is something we ever master because we'll always be fighting tendencies and impulses to to want to be the expert to want to dominate and, and we'll always have our our worldviews that have been informed by our our culture of origin and where we live and how we've um adapted to the world you know so we will always be having to evaluate ourselves and how we're how we're thinking and how we're engaging with clients how we're engaging with the music and the instruments so it's 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 a continuous process you know mhm yeah and finding that I don't know. You can tell me if this is wrong, but finding that like balance between like the critical lens with which we examine our practice and ourselves and having that compassion for ourselves. Yes. Yeah. To understand where it's coming from and how to change it. Yes. Um, I think that's an excellent point to make because it's not like we are inherently evil colonizers, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> I mean, well, some people might have been, but but um <laughs> but the thing is understanding that because we've we've grown up and lived in a, in an environment that has um structural colonialism as its undergirding as its undergirding way of being, um we've absorbed things from the ether, you know, that that colonialism has kind of put out there and so once we become aware okay we might feel ashamed or we might feel guilty but we don't need to beat ourselves up with it we just realize that this is part and parcel of living in an, in a society where colonialism has been the norm and now that i see this i'll do my best to work against these tendencies, you know, or to improve my way of relating to others and including people from indigenous and marginalized groups in what I do. So just, yeah, being compassionate with yourself and not getting stuck with um, feeling guilty about what's happening. Compassion will help you move forward. Mm. Mm. Sounds like a nice little phrase to carry with for a little <laughs> while. <laughs> Okay. Um, I mean, we've kind of been talking about this the whole time, but why is it important for music therapists to work on this, to work to decolonize their practice? Well, I think it's about, um, it's important so that we can remove oppression and power dynamics that ultimately in inhibit true growth and authentic relationship. You know, there is a power hierarchy in therapy, like it or not. And as therapists, we often are ascribed power and exercise power that could result in, oppress in oppression to our clients, whether we intend it or not. So mm. if we work to decolonize our practice, we are essentially working to, you know, dismantle that power hierarchy. And we are, we are working to expand our space to be inclusive of people who are indigenous of their knowledge of their music of their ways of being of people from marginal other marginalized groups 
to be inclusive of their knowledge, their music and ways of being. And, and we're making it a space where it, it truly is an authentic site of relationship and understanding, you know, as opposed to a, 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 a sort of contrived space where an expert comes in and tells somebody what to do and what they need, which may be completely divorced from their situation. So it, I think that's why it's important for us to really work to decolonize our practice. And it almost makes me wonder too, um, like if if we take on this work and if we do this work more and more, I wonder if it would like have effects, have reverberations into like our profession and we would start to see our profession diversify a little more because people would be would see themselves in the work, would maybe be drawn to the work in a different way. I don't know. Yeah. I think there's a lot of structural things that impact the why our profession looks the way it does, but I wonder if that's not part of it. I, I think you have a good point there. You know, if if we are if we start to to do this within our clinical practice, that it 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 could and should extend into our professional relations with other music therapists within our association that it totally reshapes and redefines how our music therapy association is structured. I think it could and it should. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, it, I made me, it made me think of something very, um, a very basic example that happened at the past AMTA conference in Minneapolis, where Dr. Brian Abrams and I presented on imagining the decolonization of music therapy education, which is based on a chapter we wrote in a book entitled Post-Colonialism in Music Therapy. Um, that should be coming out probably this year or next year. Um, Excellent. We, we had our group in, um, it was a large space. It was in one of those big meeting halls where they would have like the business meeting. And mm -hmm. um, of course that place is set up in rows. So what we decided to do was take like the first few rows and open it up so we could make a circle. And then people came in while we had started our initial improvisation. And those who came in ended up sitting outside the circle. So when we started to process what happened with the music, what's going on, this interesting thing came up about people on the outside didn't have access to the instruments. So they couldn't get up as easily and come into the middle and get instruments. And then there weren't enough instruments for everyone to begin with. And then people on the outside felt like they weren't part of the circle, even if they didn't have an instrument. So then this idea came up that the group decided, well, when people come in, we expand the circle. And yes, that means we have to get up, push our chairs back, rearrange the seating, and it's disruptive and it might be uncomfortable, but that's what we need to do to make sure everybody's included, you know? Mm. And it was one of those powerful metaphors where we didn't even need to process it. You know, it was just like, there you go. <laughs> you got it. You know? Yeah. Wow. Um, and this makes me wonder about like other, other people's lived experience of using music to heal. Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of times we can get caught up in like defending our profession and trying to create the boundaries that says, yes, I am a professional. I know what I'm about and therefore that can kind of bleed over into well music therapists own music and music yeah. therapists own 
the healing properties of music. Yeah. And this sounds like a really almost scary way to allow other people in and to say, I don't have control over what they're doing with music and it might be healing, but I'm not a part of it in any way. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, And I think that also comes back to that identity crisis that we have, that I think mm. we have, you know, um, we, we don't own music, which to think that we own something as universal and artifact <laughs> as music, that's a colonial mindset, <laughs> you know, that's a colonial mindset to think that you can own something that is part of or belongs to everyone is is kind of insane <laughs> in a way. <laughs> um, so so but I think understanding our scope of practice as music therapists or the scope of of influence that we have makes a difference. So I shouldn't have to worry about what a music um, a music practitioner is doing if they're not calling it um, clinical music therapy, because I know I'm doing clinical music therapy and what they're doing is some other kind of healing work with music, but they might not even want to use the word therapy. You know, they might Mm. like, I don't have to worry about what a shaman is doing with music for someone who might have a psychological or physical ailment. What they might not call it therapy. Therapy is, is a Western concept, you know, in terms of, how it's how it's um defined and structured. So I think being clear about knowing what we do and what the the scope of our, our work as music therapists is will make it easier. Um I don't think we have to be in competition with people if we clearly understand what mm. what our intent is with the music, you know, and there might be some overlap somewhere, but there there still are different there still is a different intent and scope with what we're doing. Yeah, that word competition really clarified it for me mm-hmm. because that often feels like it's coming from a place of insecurity yeah. because I need to feel like my work and I, therefore myself, am worth something. Mm-hmm. And if someone else is doing it, that attacks, for better or for worse, my feelings of self-worth in some way. And mm. it's like we're all in that competition. capitalism mindset of yeah yeah Yeah. that's a great way to put it yeah that capitalist mindset yeah yeah very cool so what are some ways we can start to work to decolonize our practice especially if we're pretty new at this like me (laughs) okay some ways to start decolonizing our practice i think one of the first things to do is to start looking at yourself you know, like um, it may even help to be as as concrete as starting a journal in which you can reflect on your cultural location, your background, your values, and how you see those things coming into play with the clients you serve. So just just beginning by looking at yourself and and where you stand in relation to um, expertise, who has it, who doesn't, you know, in relation to power in the client-therapist relationship, who has it, who doesn't. And I mean, being really honest in your reflection. Um, And then also, of course, reading articles and books that examine these sorts of things, looking at um, dismantling power uh, power hierarchies within the therapeutic relationship. 
um, especially when working with clients of different cultural backgrounds. I think seeking supervision from someone who is actively doing this kind of work would be invaluable, you know, so you'd, and you'd, you'd have to be very, um, I, I guess, discerning and seeing who these super, possible supervisors could be, like people who are clearly looking for ways to be as inclusive in their practice as possible, as, it, as informed about the contributions and the values of the works of indigenous and marginalized people in music therapy, like someone who is actively decolonizing their practice could be a good resource in helping you understand how to do that for yourself. And I think there are more and more music therapists and scholars and clinicians who are offering like workshops and um, opportunities to discuss these things. So certainly seek these out. So, you know, just looking for ways to read, to talk about these things, to to seek guidance from people who are actively doing these things, those will be ways to start decolonizing your practice. Excellent. Um, and any resources? What are your favorite things um, to so, learn more about this? Sure. I just to give you a couple ideas. So, like, just to understand, like, the idea of decolonizing and what it is and what it isn't. Grant, I have two articles that I'll share. They're easily available online. Like, you don't even have to go through a journal or a database to find them. You oh, can just, thank God. <laughs> yeah. So um, the first one is by, I'll spell her name for you because I am not sure I'm going to pronounce it correctly. It, it's Nayantara, N-A-Y-A-N-T-A-R-A, Nayantara Appleton, that she wrote back in 2019. And her article is called, Do Not Decolonize If You Are Not Decolonizing progressive mm. language and planning beyond a hollow academic rebranding. So this is more specific to decolonizing practices in education, but I think it gives you a sense of, of what, what it means when you say you're decolonizing something and um, what, what your efforts can look like as you work towards decolonizing your practice. What are some of the words and, and ways you can go about moving towards that? And then there's a seminal article by Eve Tuck and K. Wayne Yang from 2012, which you can also find online if you just Google those names. It's called Decolonization is Not a Metaphor. So, so it really gets into what is decolonization as opposed to um, as opposed to like a, a very broad feel-good social justice concept. Like this is a really radical, revolutionary, disruptive sort of thing that that you're aiming to do. Um, and then in terms of music therapy resources, one article that comes to mind for me is the one written by Sue Hadley and Marisol Norris. It was in Music Therapy Perspectives. It came out in 2016. It talks about musical multicultural competency in music therapy, the first step. So I thought this article was particularly useful in getting a sense of understanding how to engage with music as music therapists and understanding our relationship and our our cultural location and how that affects our understanding of music and what we do. And just a general like counseling um, resource, this one is a book. It's by R.D. Goodman and Paul, I think Rebecca Goodman and Paul Gorski from 2015. It's called Decolonizing Multicultural Counseling Through Social Justice. So. 
So those might be a few resources to start with. Yeah, excellent. Thank you so much. You're welcome. What's your favorite part about being a music therapist? My favorite part is like through music, seeing people experience themselves and others in new ways and not just as problems. So I, I really saw this when I was working with um, adolescents in an inpatient behavioral health setting. A lot of the times, you know, they were there because they had fought with parents or tried to hurt themselves, hurt other people, et cetera, et cetera. And they will always label the problem kids, you know, but they come to me and here we are, we're playing as a band or we're, we're drumming in an ensemble. And they're like, I have, you know, this one person has great rhythm. This one person has a beautiful voice. This other person was like a great supporter and helped keep the band together. And, it, and it's like, but hold on. You mean I'm, I'm not a problem anymore? Like you mean I have value in this space and I actually have an artistic skill or I actually have a social skill that helps me engage better with my peers. And, and, I, and I just love seeing that. And I see it happen in other places too. Like I think as a music therapist through music, I get to create an environment where people can learn about themselves and learn how they can relate to themselves and others in more meaningful ways. And I think that's just awesome. Mm. Yes. Um, what's your least favorite or the hardest part about being a music therapist? Notes and unnecessary meetings. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> unnecessary meetings. Yes. Very much that. Y'all, I am so in love with this conversation, and I hope you found some good takeaways for your practice and for your life. If you thoroughly loved it and are like, I need more, well, you're in luck because Dr. Webb and I spent some time talking about the identity crisis she sees in music therapy, which you heard her mention in the episode. And we'll be releasing that as a mini episode sometime in February to give you something to hold you over while you wait for the next episode. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at mtpodcast, and you can always email us any questions, comments, or concerns, mtpodcast at gmail.com. If you loved it, Rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. As always, we'll finish with some final words from Dr. Webb. How has music impacted your life? Oh, wow. Um, it just gives shape to my days. It, it colors my nights. It's led me to places and people I never imagined I'd meet, and now I couldn't imagine my life without. It's kind of weird to think, like I started playing piano at five in Trinidad, and to think like, because of my love for piano and sticking with piano lessons, I ended up in Philadelphia as a music therapist. And I've now worked with hundreds of people in music settings. And I've, 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 I've gone to conferences, I've spoken to this, I've made friends. Like, it wouldn't have happened if I never decided to touch a piano and take lessons. Like, that's kind of mind boggling. So, yeah. That's wild. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Awesome, awesome, awesome. This episode was hosted by Tony Boyko, produced by Nathan Sheets. Original music composed and performed by Nathan Sheets and Tony Boykel.